Welcome to the From Little Things podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kenizaro, and together on this show, we'll speak with Aussie small business owners, founders, and entrepreneurs to share their stories and learn from those who have been on the journey from little things and beyond, so we can make it easier for you to succeed in business and life. From Little Things is brought to you by Papiera, the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. You can learn more and get started for free at papera.com. Welcome to the Little Things Podcast. Today we have Steph Clark, who is self-described as a futurist and facilitator who loves helping people think about what's possible. Steph, welcome to the show and thanks so much for giving know. us time before Christmas. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Always a, uh, yeah, I'm always going to say yes to having the chance to have a chat about things. So this is good. Awesome. So perhaps um, for the audience and for myself, would mm-hmm. love to, I, I've read your LinkedIn profile, I was going to come up with your own an intro about you, but I love the way you articulated it. It's like, you don't like when people ask you about what you do, um, but more so the, problem you, the problems you solve. Perhaps we can kick off just, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what is a futurist? What is futurist? Well, let's start with the past. We'll start with history and then we'll come to the future. So I started my career when I was 18. I decided university wasn't going to be my the option for me. That's kind of what other, yeah, that's what everyone does. So I don't want to do that. So I joined EY and I was, uh, yeah, joined in, in the audit practice. Uh, we have a little bit of overlap there, which we didn't realize, which was fun. Uh, and then pretty quickly realized that, oh, spreadsheets and stuff are not really for me. Uh, so I decided instead to to move into learning and development. And so after qualifying as an accountant, so I didn't have to be an accountant anymore, I moved into kind of learning and development and uh, was then developing programs and courses and curriculums and things for the audit practice at EY in the UK and then eventually in Australia uh, and then moved into kind of leadership roles and things like that. And then five, nearly five years ago, it'll be five years in March, uh, I went out on my own since then. I've been doing you know, some other learning and development kind of work, but also then um, over the last few years, is really more focusing on futures. And so I'm a futurist, uh, which is usually a fun thing to tell people. And with the work I do in futures, it's really around helping people expand the realm and range of what they think is possible in their business in particular, uh, and maybe in their industry or organizational team as well. So really asking provocative questions, you know, and, that, and the activities this can be like workshop facilitation, still some learning type projects and programs and things as well. Um, and then kind of more bespoke project kind of, kind of work, but really all with the idea of, yeah, expanding the range of what people think is possible and what is, and maybe even what they're capable of in that way as well. And actually trying to increase the courage, I think that we have in, in organizations and in leadership teams in Australia in particular. Awesome. Thank you for the intro. Um, sounds super cool. Uh, mm. I sense a little bit of an accent. I know that yes. you're based in Melbourne at the moment, but um. uh, perhaps if we take a step back. So, you know, so from Little Things podcast, uh, mm-hmm. we really like to understand our guests on the show, where they've come from, what's shaped them to think about uh, the world today, the way they do and who they are today. And I feel like given um, your role in the, seeing the future and thinking about it deeply, uh, you're probably a great person to ask about so what, if you can just share your journey from the start, um, and particularly uh, keen to understand sort of at what point did you realise you, you wanted to not follow the traditional path? Hmm. I think when I was about three, I decided to, <laughs> like my parents kind of joked that pretty much as soon as I could talk and walk, I was kind of done with with them. And like, it was like, cool, thanks for your help. I'll see you at some point sort of thing. Yeah. So um, it's always been, I suppose it's always, there's an element of personality there. And it's funny now when you start to like look back a little bit more and think about things you did when you're a teenager or, or you know, as a kid, 
and they're like, oh, this makes sense why I do this work now. And it's funny, um, yeah, how sometimes that takes a few decades to kind of to kind of wash through in some ways. But um, yeah, and it was it's funny when, it, especially when I look back to when I was kind of eighteen and just I was seventeen at the time, and EY came to our school and sort of did this thing about they have a school leavers program, and obviously everyone's like, no, you go to you know go to college, is it you know is in the UK sort of the yeah. thing yeah between sixteen and eighteen, uh, and then you go to and then you go to university and then you get a job and uh, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, that doesn't <laughs> sound like it kind of looks fun, fine, but. I'd rather kind of like get stuck in and get started on something. Uh, and so, yeah, so the opportunity kind of arose to to join the school leavers program that EY offered. And there was about six of us that joined in my kind of small office that I, I started in. Uh, and actually that was, I think in some ways that was my first foresight and futures kind of experience because I would have actually graduated in 2008, 2009, which um, if you cast your mind back, not a great time to be looking for a job in accounting or finance or uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually started at EY in 2008 myself. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you didn't even get the so you didn't even get the good times before when the parties were a bit wild. We saw about <laughs> three months of the uh, there was there were fortnightly drinks for about three months and then yeah. they disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't get any of the good stuff. Uh, yeah. So so that was yeah. So I joke that that was kind of my first foresight kind of thing. Although obviously clearly that was not at all. It was just uh, that's followed what I was more interested in. Uh, and then just being and I was talking to someone else earlier today actually about this. You know, really since then, and so since you know a fairly young age, has been like just really quite intentional about like what the next thing is, yeah. and being able to kind of go, okay, not really loving this. What else is around? Okay, that looks interesting. What do I need to do to get there? And then just kind of shaping my work. And I've always been quite good at shaping the system or making the kind of things work. That then kind of I've been able to kind of create my own roles a lot of the time. So whilst I had, you know, roles and job descriptions and titles and things in the time I was at EY and um, and obviously, you know, different since I've left, uh, there was always a sense of, okay, I've got to do this bit, but what's the kind of 30 or 40% I can color in and do my own kind of version of that uh, yeah. around the edges? And so, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I just wanted to ask, um, I think a lot of people that we speak to just – meeting different business owners, uh, whether they're sole traders, consultants, uh, small business owners. Um, there's always this, this moment a lot of them share with us around, uh, they know they want to be doing something different. They're in a more structured, traditional path. Um, but then there's the, kind of like a catalyst that allows them to take that leap. And um, what was it for you? And it may be hard to pinpoint. Yeah, there was a couple of things. So I think there was this moment, and it's funny, I've literally just had lunch with this person now. So my <laughs> um, now good friend and was formerly my colleague and you know, kind of was my leader at the time in a couple of, in a couple of the last roles I had uh, before I left was a woman called Elisa, who is just this amazing woman who just has this skill and this gift of seeing people's potential before they sometimes see it. And so she put me in this role that I wouldn't have necessarily considered my for, myself for at the time. And actually other people didn't think I could do or was ready for. And she was like, no, no, we'll give her a shot. Yeah. And just that that moment that then just completely opened this kind of new world and these new kind of, you know, this new role I was then doing that then opened up a lot more things for me. And I think that was the trigger that put me on that kind of path and then helped me again see what's possible, which is, you know, very much a lot of the work I do now has been a different kind of context. And then the other piece was, you know, as a senior manager and I was leading this great team and you know, doing this really cool work and had a lot of kind of creative leverage, which was I really appreciated and great stakeholders and things. And so I was having a lot of fun, but I looked around and, you know, sort of, like I said, got to kind of the senior manager role and I was like, 
All right, I think, I'm, I think I've done. I think I've done what I need to do here. And I really missed, and I knew this for a long time, I really missed being client-facing. So whilst I really hated being an auditor, I really loved the client dynamic and I loved going out and finding out about people's businesses and getting under the hood and actually the 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 ability you have when you're an auditor to go and ask all the questions and I just loved that part. So it was great at the kind of like the planning parts of audit, like the understand the business and those things. I loved those. As yeah. soon as you got to the numbers, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it was that, that realization of kind of done what I need to do here. I'm pretty kind of kind of designing my own world and life and all the rest. And I really miss being client facing. And I want that kind of flexibility, like flexibility is massively important to me. How do I put all of those things together? Oh, I'm probably going to have to make it myself. Yeah, no, that's cool. And and that's really interesting that you mentioned the part about uh, flexibility. So I, I'm getting the, some of the key messages coming through is around pursuing a passion and flexibility. And we've been mm-hmm. um, trying to dive a little deeper as part of these conversations as to what inspires people to pursue entrepreneurship or business. And a lot of the time, the the... I guess the initial assumption would be that people go into business to make money, but actually it seems to be a third or fourth consideration. Yeah. The money is important. However, it's driven by generally a high purpose to stay, stay in it within a long term. But um, uh, for you, what, what's, what, how do you stay motivated? I mean, it mm. is, it is a, a broad um, discipline. Um, mm. we'll, we'll dive deep into what you focus on within the futurist um, area at the moment. But um, how do you stay motivated? Like how did you, what, what is it that keeps you going? There's always a new thing, a new fun challenge. And I think this was actually the thing I found hardest for the first, at least for the first sort of probably three years was there was no carrot. Like in an organization, especially when you've spent a long time there and you've kind of really grown up there. I was there from, you know, I was almost a child when I joined. So you're just used to like the next promotion, the next role, the next kind of pay rise, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. And it's kind of external and it's, you know, you know, it's all kind of, am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed to swear in here? You can, yeah. Okay, okay. You, you know, can. it's all, <laughs> you know, it's all bullshit. You know, it's all made up, but it's so yeah. addictive and you're able to, and you kind of get sucked into it, even though you have the awareness that it's, it's not real. So yeah. I think despite knowing that that is the case, then being out on your own and being like, oh, what, what am I kind of like, what am I working towards now? Like I've done, I've done the thing I've gone out on my own. I've had you know a year or two or three of, of making that work. Like, cool. What's next. So I think that was for me, the hardest thing, and especially if you've got a you know, bit of ambition, a bit of drive and all those things as well, that makes that somewhat harder. So I think you then, it's that mindset flip of, right, cool. Well, I need to make my own kind of you know, milestones or whatever they are. And yeah, you can do a revenue one, but that's kind of boring as well. So, you know, once you're kind of, you've met your salary from your previous place, which is obviously like often a first one that you kind of yeah. you know, have as a bit of a milestone. Once you kind of got past that, you're like, all oh, right, okay, well, I can add an extra zero or something or, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, so it's more around the experiences. So I kind of try and have a little bit of a kind of a lead and a lag measure approach. So for me, you know, in a, for a week to be a good week, I know that I need to be getting out to two or three events a week and doing some kind of interesting things. And that can be coffees and lunches or like, you know, things in the evening and going to you know various events that are run here. We're pretty lucky with um, what's available. Yeah. Uh, and then thinking about like what projects do I want to have, like how many podcast interviews do I want to have been invited on to? Uh, and therefore, what do I need to do those? And often that's you know, how many times I'm posting on LinkedIn or meeting up with people or, you know, getting coffees in the diary and stuff so it's almost gamifying your kind of business and gamifying some of the the elements of that that yes. then keeps it that then keeps it fun and and also just the you know remembering that it's a constant experiment and I think that's the fun thing as well that holding it kind of lightly to a to an extent is is really important but when you made that transition from um so from a structured role into mm. into running your own business or independent consultant was that a 
um, was it an immediate switch over where you said I'm resigning and now I'm starting? Mm. Uh, or did you transition to it by doing some stuff on the side and then building up your book of business and then? Yeah. How did that, can you just walk us through that? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of the time, mm. the biggest challenge is getting started. Yeah. Um, and how do, you, how do you take that move? So 2017, I started the the inkling was the seed was planted in my brain. I don't know how it just was. <laughs> it, it arrived and that I would want to go out on my own. So in 2017, I started posting on LinkedIn a few times a week. And that was kind of my right. This is me kind of sowing the seed for what I'm going to what I'm going to need to do. And then in so that was probably, I don't know, halfway through 2017, let's say. 2018, I said, uh, so I agreed that I'd go down to a four-day week. So I did a four-day week from 2018 uh, and through, you know, for that kind of 12-month period. Uh, There's a couple of periods where I had to kind of go back to five days when we were doing key kind of events and things, but fine. Most, most of the time I was doing four days a week. Uh, so that gave me the chance to then flex my weeks a little bit more to like run the odd workshop or build some client stuff or go for coffees and like get, get, it, um, get out to some people, which was good. Uh, and then 2019 was always going to be like the year I kind of uh, actually like cut the cord and, and left. Uh, and that ended up being March, which is actually a bit later than I'd planned. But yeah, for various reasons of you know replacements and things like that, that's what it yeah. ended up being. So, so yeah, so it was a very intentional. It wasn't like a, okay, cut the thing. All oh, right, what do I do now? Like I had like a small book of business and it was yeah. enough to kind of get me started. Uh, and then actually initially I did a bit of kind of associate kind of work, which was, you know, going out and doing some facilitation sort of day rate stuff for some people who, yeah, it was their content kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that was fine. And again, it's useful to get started. It's not something I wanted to do for, you know, forever, but it was a good kind of uh, ramp or on-ramp. Did, did, you have, did you have an existing network um, that you were yeah. leveraging to try to get those initial jobs? Or were you, because you mentioned you're doing some work with people that were already kind of independent consulting, is that? Yeah, a bit of both. So yeah, so doing some stuff there, associate kind of stuff with people who had already, you know, had their kind of more established things and had, you know, needed freelance facilitators to go and run some stuff. Uh, and then, but I'd been really intentional with those four, you know, with the, uh, with in 2018 of doing more posting on LinkedIn and then building those networks. So actually, and most of that initial work came from, so interestingly, most of my initial work, and actually this is still the case now, um, comes from my EY alumni network. Cool. So people who'd gone out, elsewhere and they were like oh hey if you're going out on your own come and help us out over here kind of thing so that was cool and then actually three of my first four clients came from a cooking group that I was part of so I used to be part of this cooking group called too many cooks and every month we'd get together someone would host they'd pick the cookbook and we'd come over and we'd all cook something from that recipe book and then have like a meal together um so I'd done that for a few years and I just you know sort of mentioned them because we were doing you know we were just catching up and I said oh I'm you know building my business and like doing this I'm going to leave and yeah three of them were like oh you should meet speak to my boss you should talk to this person oh we're actually running a leadership program can you we need a facility yeah we need someone to kind of design it or facilitate it so actually four of my sorry three of my first four clients came from that group which is not what I expected amazing well I I think again this resonates with a lot of the stories we hear from Mm. small business owners where it's uh deeply community focused it's referral based Mm. um and that part that first step to getting started is sometimes the hardest step and and it's usually people we know that helps out yeah um was there was there ever a point where you were taking that leap so you know you're transitioning over time but was there ever a point where you said oh I don't know if I'm gonna if this is gonna work and and were you worried about it not working (laughs) no because what's the worst case you go and get a job again like I mean that's a pretty bad case now I think (laughs) but you know there's there's I don't know like there was no it felt like a no-brainer it felt like a really low risk and quite low stakes 
And yeah. is that is that a, a natural response that comes from Steph's personality? It's like, you know, I, I back myself or is it a response based in um, you know, just uh, you were willing to take the risk and mm. uh, you, you weren't sure at the time? And I guess the reason why I'm asking this is there are mm. a lot of different people that will be listening to this conversation. Some have the conf- blind confidence. Which yeah, is yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to do it and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and others will be sitting there saying, well, you know, I make X amount of money and got why commitments and um mm. really just struggling to make that leap and yeah. uh and others will already be in the trenches as they say yeah, trying yeah. to figure out whether they should stay there because it is yeah. a tough time at the moment in business yeah. so um yeah just keep to go yeah um i i mean i spent 2018 other than going down to four days a week and obviously doing the kind of the the legwork in that point i also spent that time building up a cash base like a hundred thousand dollars aside so that was kind of like that's my living expenses for uh, probably a couple of years um, yeah, if I lived it kind of, you know, without doing nice things and not many nice things. So you prepared um, yourself for it. Yeah. So I, yeah. So again, that made it kind of riskless in that way because it was designed that way. And okay. because I wasn't, and I've, you know, had this conversation with some people or I've seen this with some people, you know, kind of you know, broader network of people being like, okay, I've left now. Um, now what do I do? And I'm like, oh, go back to it. <laughs> go back 18 months and <laughs> and yeah. look that works for people people have got different risk appetites you've got to do what's best for you um but i think going out and expecting to make the same amount of money even like initially and for, even for the first kind of couple of years is probably relatively unreasonable unless you've done a lot of work up front and you've been kind of side hustling and you've built you know whatever but um and obviously it depends on the type of work you're doing yeah you know, work you're doing as well if it's like a sas thing maybe you can scale that a lot quicker than like going maybe not <laughs> you're sort of shaking your head like okay. no. <laughs> i can say it all takes time uh, yeah oh, it always takes time so compared to like consulting where there's a bit more kind of sweat for you know money kind of thing you've got to like it's a bit more time in money out type thing um so look yeah there's no kind of right or answer but i think there's ways around a lot of the a lot of the oh no but kind of things there's often ways around that you've just got to actually prioritize them and put the you know, put the things in place that mean that those things become not relevant or uh, less I, I relevant. Think, I think that's a super valuable learning loop because um, one of the things that we're speaking a little bit offline about this is that um, I sometimes feel like the the um, journey of building a business is sometimes glorified. Mm. Oh, absolutely. They, or yeah. you hear the stories. I mean, we all hear the heartache stories as well. Mm. But you hear the stories of like ex-persons out of this business and became an overnight success mm. and we all know that that's not true. Like, yeah. that's not yeah, the case. Yeah. But um where I think there's a bit of a gap at the moment in, in our local Australian ecosystem is mm. around how do you actually get started? And yeah. when you do get started, what, what happens then? And mm. where, because there is no kind of like manual no, no, no. that you follow, right? And mm. um, so it's super valuable to hear yeah. about uh, the way you thought about it. Yeah. And I think it's also like complete bollocks that we have to, we like glorify the kind of like start in a garage, like work till 4am, like, you know, you're crying yourself to sleep and eating pot noodles. Like, you know, you also don't have to do that. (laughs) I mean, if you're like 21, like go for your life, like do that. But that's also not what it has to look like. And I think as well that that bit gets glorified a lot, that you feel like you have to like really struggle and stuff for that to be, um, for for that to be real or for it to be like valid. And I think that's also not the case or doesn't need to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, super valuable here because I Mm. I think a a lot of people, again, like a lot of people will be sitting there thinking, you know, I really want to do this thing, but everyone I speak to says it's super painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe or, or I really want to do it, but I really don't like pot noodles. Like, that's fine. You don't have to do that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you don't need to necessarily change the way you exist 
Yeah, yeah. And again, you, there'd be certain things you have to you know, make some changes on. You know, bank all your flight. That's the other thing as well. That's another top tip. Like bank all your flight kind of points and credits and things because you yeah. then that uh, you can still go away um, for night holidays. <laughs> I feel but like great. there's a there's a, yeah. uh, some sort of blog post in this around. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you, to keep living the same. Exactly. As you yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You can still fly because it's like past you paid for those things. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. That's awesome. And um, uh, so. Uh, you know, we'll change a little bit into uh, the topic of becoming a futurist mm. and, and what that means and what it is. But before we do that, um, just recap on the journey today. So mm. from three years old, you decided, yep. you you realised that um, you, you felt differently about you know, the traditional path, shall we say. Yep. Um, yep. Around 18, you decided, I'm going to choose, I'm going to pursue this program because it seems to be some interesting opportunity. Yep. What it was a few, by the way, uh, it's a little known fact that I also started in order very briefly, but also enjoyed the people perspective on the solving yeah. problems, um, which is how I ended up in consulting as well. Yeah. But um, so consulting, uh, there's learning development as part of that, and then um, that switch to that transition to becoming an entrepreneur, uh, yeah. focused on consulting, but from a futures perspective. Mm-hmm. Before asking about futures, because mm-hmm. I think we still need to dive that a little bit more, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will still be asking Dan. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's a slasher? A slasher. I, I saw that's in your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, uh, someone who has like multiple kind of things that they do. So be like the kind of facilitator, futurist, speaker, author, writer, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So slash, 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 slash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's let's talk about becoming a futurist then. Mm-hmm. Who, kind of, why, and, and what. <laughs> who why how what yeah yeah yeah, all of those things so a couple of years ago I read the book imaginable by Jane McGonigal and all the way through that book my mouth was like just dropped open (laughs) for hours reading the book I was like this is the work this is everything I love the most about all the work I do and this is it's all here in one discipline I didn't know this even existed so from from that I kind of spurred this kind of uh learning you know sort of journey that I've like then created for myself around going and like going much deeper into that that field building all these different kind of connections and networks and things trying that work so I do a lot of um over the last you know surprise some of my clients that I've been doing for the last kind of you know 18 months two years a lot of what I've called like Trojan horse futures. So clients will be like, hey, we've got this like challenge. We want to, yeah, particularly around things like want our teams to be more curious or kind of think a bit bigger or like think more kind of creatively about things. I'm like, sweet, we can use futures for that. So then sort of building futures in, whether I call it that or not, yeah, kind of depends on the project and, and yeah. client and things. But using that to kind of get the practice in of using some of the tools, practicing that, you know, and a lot of it was very adjacent to what the work I was doing anyway, particularly around like asking provocative questions in a facilitation kind of thing. Yeah, facilitation is something I've done for a long time. So that that wasn't new. Um, but then bringing all of it together and thinking about what's what's bigger and what's uh, where can we kind of go deeper on some of this stuff. Yeah. And actually, one of the frustrations, I haven't really kind of talked about this on like podcasts or anything yet, but I, I was yeah, really getting, this is, uh, this yeah, is yeah. <laughs> exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> I was getting, I was actually at a point where I was getting like really frustrated with learning and development. I just feel like it had gone really backwards since COVID. It kind of a lot of LD kind of teams, departments, et cetera, had really paused during the pandemic and, you know, to an extent for good reason initially, but had never really recovered, unlike a lot of other departments and things that kind of paused, went, oh, what do we do? Okay. And then had kind of innovated or whatever. 
yep. their way out of it. You know, some with more or less success than others, of course. Whereas I feel like L and D kind of just stopped and then just rapidly went backwards. We're seeing some places kind of, you know, come out of that a little bit more now, but really it just feels, I don't know, it really felt like it was dying. And I just thought as well, like there's so much that's wrong with not just L&D, but with other kind of parts. Well, but L&D that it can't often survive in the ecosystem it's in because they're trying to do things and they're trying to build courses and programs and change behavior and things in an environment that just does not support that. And an environment that is not rewarding those things. Therefore, I was like, this actually, some of the future stuff is almost going upstream of that problem and going, well, actually, if we rethink the system or we rethink the kind of the environment or the way of working or whatever it is, then some of the other stuff can then come back to life and can succeed and whatever else you want to kind of do. Uh, But it also, yeah, so hopefully it means actually other things can then be successful as well, but only if you can do that kind of broader thinking and rethinking and reimagining first. Yeah, uh, it's really so for me, yeah. Because I think from uh, you know, my own experience in a, in a structured learning development environment mm-hmm. is uh, a lot of learning development is compliance driven. Uh, in some places, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I know the firms that we we experienced that they're a really strong actually program around professional yeah. development and growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if I understand correctly, where, where, where you take the conversation is not just about you know, how do you become a better leader or a better communicator. Mm-hmm. It's actually how do you understand where the world is going, the mm-hmm. trends that are yeah. going on, how do you change your perspective or change the way you think about problems to then solve them and succeed in like what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. And certainly now, like certainly more than the work now. Yes, absolutely. So there's... Uh, so the things I do now is there's a mixture of uh, kind of keynotes and sort of speaking type stuff that's the, you know, that's then more the kind of, hey, here's what's possible kind of thing. That's more, you know, the edutainment kind of thing, but it's fun. I love yeah. the kind of performance of that type of stuff and the engagement. Uh, and then there's more the actual, the you know, kind of back overlap with learning and developments. There's more things around like futures literacy, offsites kind of facilitation. So actually really kind of getting into the guts a little bit more of, of what's possible and actually working on a problem, a project, a team, an or, you know, in organization or whatever. Uh, and then the kind of bespoke stuff, which is uh, really yeah, anything else that someone's like, oh, this feels like it needs a futures lens. And that might be kind of creating some uh, some material or some um, some artifacts or something which actually give a view of the future or being part of a kind of a bigger project that needs, uh, you know, an injection of possibility. And who are the types of clients you work with? So I, I get the sense that they're large organizations, but I'm assuming you do all sorts of sizes, but they're keen to get. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a mixture. So at the moment, yeah, professional services, financial services, fintech, retail, um, and some government agencies actually as well. Yeah. Awesome. And, yeah. um you know, if I was an executive in Australia sitting mm. there in an organization, mm. what would be one of the triggers for when I would say I should probably chat to a futurist? Mm. One of the, I think there was some, there was a, I'm going to re- rephrase that bit. That's cool. There was a survey done, one of these sort of CEO surveys done earlier this year, so early 2023, about whether an exec or whether the execs or CEOs thought that their business would still exist in 10 years' time. 28% of Australian CEOs said they didn't think their business would exist in 10 years' time if they carried on doing what they're doing. That was 40 And Yeah, yeah, globally, that was 40%. Now, my... um, skeptical kind of self thinks that the Australian ones are maybe kidding themselves and actually haven't thought hard enough about that, which is why it's that much lower. Um, Because I think, yeah, the 40%, I don't know, felt more right. But anyway, 
So I think if you're having that conversation with yourself or your leadership team or your kind of the you know, people advising you or whatever around, something needs to change because we are not going to be relevant quite quickly. And whether that's whatever that trigger has been around, uh, whether it's environmental kind of climate kind of perspective, whether it's legislative, because you're seeing changes happening in kind of industries around you and you're like, oh, if that comes our way, we've got a massive problem. If it's technology as well from a kind of you know, obviously AI or any of the other kind of things that are happening as well. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure how we're going to stay again, stay relevant with with these alternative options or these things that people are, can use instead um, or you know, anything else. It's at that point you could kind of it's probably worth thinking bringing someone else in like futurist is a good example or a good kind of um a, a good starting point potentially because the other thing we tend to bring is bringing the signals of what else is happening globally and i think yeah. this is something i notice a lot in the teams i work with is that you know there's a lot to stay across nowadays and all, you know, all of those things and no one no one is across anything and no futurist or anyone else is across absolutely everything that's happening that's just not possible however uh, it, it is our literally our job <laughs> to stay across more of what's happening. I, I wanted to ask actually, how, yeah. how do you do it? Because um, uh, like exactly to know where the world is going, you can yeah. the signals. But where do you? Where, you can't listen to everything. So no. where do you? Where do you focus? I focus on. I focus on a lot of different news sources, a lot of a lot of newsletters and substacks and things. Like for me, though, those are the kind of holy grail of like where you're going to be able to follow. Like some really different leads to just looking at kind of the BBC, Guardian, you know, whatever, whatever. The mainstream, like, like, so, yeah, the mainstream, yeah, exactly. And look, those are useful to an extent. And some of those, you know, BBC in particular tends to have some really cool, like different kind of stories on there as well. You know, they've obviously got a yeah, complete army of journalists and things working on things, and using kind of yeah, like I said substacks and things you're just going to find out some of the subculture kind of stuff type stuff as well places like reddit as well like some kind of more alternative social media discord as well um pick up a lot of kind of stuff from discord servers and things so yeah i think it's just diversifying your kind of inputs and really just being massively intentional about putting time aside for that yeah. and for me that I'm easy because I don't have children, I, you know, so all those types of things as well, which I think sometimes the, the time investment. Yeah, there is a time investment, but again, like I, that is, I, you know, I see that as part of my job, and therefore it's not about. You know, sometimes, yes, I do that at the weekend because that just works for me, but sometimes I'll do it on a Thursday morning, like block out the morning to go and read a bunch of my Substacks from the week or you know whatever I've got in the kind of backlog. So, and I think the more we are driven and people in organizations are rewarded by the next quarter, the next financial year, the less and less they're going to actually have that literacy and that energy and prioritization, of course, towards looking up out of their inbox and being like, oh, that's coming towards us. Well, we should do something about that because yeah. the future is going to happen either way. And <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, you then get to choose if you're ready for it or not. And I think in some ways it's that kind of simplistic but it's also true. <laughs> and also the problems you're facing today were once future problems that yeah. if you'd looked up and seen coming, you'd have been like, oh, we should prepare for that. And then you wouldn't be fighting those fires today. It's really interesting because um, we're sitting in Australia mm -hmm. and we are. Uh, yes. we've both had international experience and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's sometimes a sense in Australia that um, the future – is occurring has already occurred in some other markets and oh, we are yes. able to see it coming here. Yeah. Um, however, it doesn't always translate that directly to the people that are here mm. to say, hey, this has happened elsewhere and it's mm. coming. Mm -mm. Do you ever want to touch on a little bit about um, 
your experience around working with Australian thought leaders or working in this market to try to communicate some of the disruptive trends and, and some of the frustrations around that? Mm. Without like never having a client in Australia again, I assume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, just, yeah. The purpose um, of this is not to uh yeah, 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 yeah. more so be, to highlight be, dip, the, okay, the diplomatic diplomatic <laughs> diplomatic stuff. Okay, cool. Um we can do that. Um Yes, I think, look, it there is... open and as you like <laughs> to do. The purpose of this discussion is to demystify. Uh, yeah, true, really true. Like. Okay, yeah, all right, good to know, so. good to know. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think, uh, so, okay, a good example of this. So I had this conversation with someone about three weeks ago now, and it has stuck. I have thought about it, I think, every single day since I had this conversation, probably actually a month ago now. So this person had just got back from working in Europe a lot of the last decade and sort of split between here and there, but predominantly spending most of that time in the last decade in Europe, particularly in Germany, but some other countries as well. And he said to me, he was like, you know, he just really noticed coming back here and he's Australian kind of originally. He said he really noticed coming back here that in Europe and in Germany and kind of in, in his experience, there's this real sense of a leader comes into a role or, you know, a sort of senior role doesn't have to always be a CEO, can just be, you know, a, a leadership type senior role. And their first reaction is, cool, I'm in this role for three, four, five, six years, whatever. How am I going to make an impact? Here, leaders go into a role and more often than not, their reaction is, cool, how do I not get sacked? Yeah. Now, this is a wildly different kind of mindset and therefore drives wildly different behaviors. And look, there's obviously downsides to the to the how do I make an impact if you're you know, doing that from a narcissistic perspective rather than a kind of make things better perspective. Of course, that's yeah, there's unintended consequences all over the place there. But I think there was just this this cultural difference. I was like, yes, this is it. And he described it to me as like, this is tall poppy syndrome. I was like, oh, I've always, yeah, you know, my understanding of tall poppy syndrome has always been this kind of the showing off, the kind of like, oh, you know, be a bit humble and that kind of thing, which I think, yeah, that's that's probably also the case. A part of it, yeah. Of course. But it was like that piece. And I was like, yes, that's that is tall poppy syndrome in organ particularly in an organizational setting. And just for me, it's that kind of like that kind of symbolizes this kind of like almost like this lack of courage to do something different because the fear of you know, failure and failure being tried something, didn't work, got sacked because no one else was prepared to back it and no one or no one was prepared to kind of hold their own. Like they might have agreed to it initially, but as soon as it looked like it maybe wasn't working as well or was a bit kind of shaky, you're out on your own kind of thing. And I think that for me was like a quite a telling conversation uh, and also possibly a symptom or a, you know, maybe a, probably more of a, a, a reason why sometimes, and definitely from a futures perspective, and you know, ask any futurist working in Australia, the market here is really not mature compared to particularly Europe, particularly the um, Scandinavian Nordic countries, um, France as well, and then yeah, Canada and to an extent the US. So it just feels like, um, yeah, there's, and I think some of that is because Australia has been very lucky. Yep. Particularly non-indigenous, yeah, particularly kind of non-indigenous Australia has been very lucky. And so kind of hasn't had to kind of, try too hard in a lot of ways over the last couple of hundred years to succeed and kind of to to have some wins um and or to avoid kind of drama and catastrophe because I, I like kind to of, yeah. summarize so we, we yeah. uh, um in the major markets when you go to say London or Hong Kong yeah, you, yeah. you get the extremes yeah you know, absolutely you get the, the high highs and the very very low lows mm -hmm. in Australia you've just got this really comfortable middle yeah 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 and um and sometimes that's really hard because yeah. 
it's not painful enough to change. It, absolutely um, that. And look, I don't want to go down. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> and okay, I don't want to go down that guy of like, you know, the interest rate's got to be 50% and employment's got to be 100% before we're, yeah, it's <laughs> like, that's not, that is not what I'm saying. Absolutely. But I, I think it's really and I'm also, and also there's like, clearly there are individuals struggling, but as a, and you know, and all of those things, but as a society like Australia, you know, and all the stats kind of you know, look, you know, show this, that you know, Australia has been very lucky and has avoided a lot of the kind of big pains that a lot of other countries have over the last you know, hundred years or so. Yeah, I guess I have an underlying hypothesis that that's shifting. Um, we I do think so. have rising inequality. Uh, the property ladder yeah. is harder to get on than ever before. Yes. And why is that important? Well, a lot of Australians still have the Australian dream, which is you go yep. a place. But yeah, then yeah, yeah. You know, I'm part of the millennial generation. And for many millennials, first generation in, in the recent history that won't be able to do that or find it very difficult without support. And are actually worse off than their parents were at this age. And I think that's the big, that's going to be the tipping point. And I think you're absolutely right. This may change. And I think, I wonder if then as the sort of leadership generation shift, if there will be more openness and probably particularly as I'd imagine, I, I can't back this up with any data at this stage, but I wonder if more people have kind of, ah, oh, like millennial age group will have actually done more overseas stuff as well to actually kind of be more influenced by that. And some of that good and some of that bad, obviously, and being like, well, not that. <laughs> but, I, so. I think it's probably two parts with the, and I'll get back to the data point of moment. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting part given what you do, which is seeing the future. And I wonder how yeah. much is data and how much is other signals. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, on the millennial part, I think it's also one of the first generations that have access to information through the internet, through their formative years, where they... Overseas experience definitely does help, but uh, you can also consume a lot of this information before, so you're not of course, flying yeah. blind. And I think yeah. um, people more than ever are looking for alternative ways to live. And um, I think we're actually seeing that drive entrepreneurship as well. Mm, yeah. And so I think like on a, a positive side of the tall poppy syndrome that you mentioned, I think it actually highlights the immense opportunity there is here for people willing to go after it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I guess um, I'd be keen to hear like how, do, how as a small business owner or as a sole creator, how do I start to incorporate some of this future's thinking to see what those opportunities are and go after them? Mm. Courage, I think, is the number one thing. So there's a bit of yeah, a big dose of courage to yeah. kind of to actually even want to ask the questions. And I think that's really important. And some of the execs that I'm starting to work with at kind of more senior levels who are up for those conversations, like that's a really, you know, open part of the conversation we have is what have you got appetite for? Yeah. Like where, yeah, what, where are the ways your guts kind of starting and ending kind of things? So that's really cool. So I think there's some thing, there's some courage piece there, but that's more around doing something with it, I suppose. But I think um, in terms of where to start is num- you know, number one, just spending, blocking out, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes once a week to read a couple of different newsletters or to sign yet yeah, and obviously signing up for some different stuff or getting on Substack and just following following your kind of nose and following what you're interested in. So if you work in banking but you're interested in healthcare, like follow some of the kind of future of healthcare type stuff. And yeah, Emily Casey's doing some great work. I was going to ask, stuff. are there any yeah. particular newsletters or yeah, so like Emily Emily Casey yeah. Emily Casey's What the Health um yeah yeah, certainly from australian perspective although she brings in some international stuff as well um yeah just using health as an example would be a really cool one because that's showing some of um the emerging kind of tech but also who's being invested and stuff like that um from a kind of healthcare and health tech kind of perspective um so those are you know that's that's really good to kind of spend some time looking at those types of things different podcasts as well and again you know you can just sort of do some searching on those and just yeah and search for future of dot 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 you know kind of insert your kind of thing you're interested in there because that will give you and yes you'll get your kind of McKinsey reports and all those things which are good to an extent and all the rest but you'll also get kind of you know some sub stacks or some LinkedIn people to follow on LinkedIn or you know whatever it is that's just going to send you down some different rabbit holes and I think that's where things start getting interesting 
and yeah, sometimes overwhelming as well, but that's where you can start going like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was possible. And I think then if you're going to like level up as being like, you know, future of healthcare in Denmark or future of healthcare in India or future of healthcare in China, because that's where you start to then see the the overlay of kind of culture and investment and different problems being solved in different ways as well. And being like, oh, actually, that's what that looks like at scale when you look at somewhere like China, or this is what it looks like in a healthcare system that is like very preventative, like as Sweden or Denmark or something like that. It's really cool. It's really mm. cool. And um, I guess what what um, when you're looking at these trends for yourself in terms of where where the world is going, I'm keen to understand. So, you know, if there are sort of what are the key trends that you think? Maybe let's look forward to 2024. Mm. Um, the conversation that you're having with executives and others that you work with. What are some of the key things that you think are going to be important next year to be thinking about where potentially Australian business owners can look at for opportunity as well? Mm. I mean, 23-4 is not really, you know, it's, it's sort of the future, future light kind of thing because it's, you know, it's kind of much of today. Like we're not going to look, we're not going to probably be here in 12 months time and be like, oh, wow, didn't they? <laughs> the <laughs> aliens, yeah, they they, they came. Um, yeah, possible. Uh, but I think possible. as well, like, the important <laughs> thing, yeah, the important thing about futures or good futures work is that it's about possibility, not prediction. So yeah, you can get just trend reports and there's all these things. And there's the other thing is around like kind of mega trends, which is the kind of longer term, more, in some ways, the kind of more boring, but also the massively important stuff, the stuff that is going to shift over generations, which is things like climate, which is things like demographic changes, um, uh, things like health and you know, kind of inequality and you know, the kind of economic kind of, and geopolitics and things as well. So you've got that. So I think when it comes to kind of like, you know, just thinking about 2024, a couple of really big things happening in 2024. Obviously, we've got a couple of wars still happening. Yeah, that's, um, you know, obviously there's multiple things about those, but the, yeah. that's that's from a geopolitics perspective, from an economics perspective, that's going to be interesting, you know, the impact of those. And, you know, the world is now at a stage where those have global implications. The, the other thing, obviously, AI and particularly around conversational AI and the kind of the bots piece, like that's going to be pretty... Yeah that looks like you know there's enough signals about that now that that's going to be could be pretty game changing in 2024 uh, and then the other thing which is a big conversation that's probably not getting enough conversation in the kind of maybe mainstream at the moment is it's touching on it in some places but is that 2024 is being touted as the probably the last year that we'll have a truly democratic elections because of ai generative ai and just the complete falling through the floor of trust of um truth of and and the rise of conspiracies and things and then the impact that generative ai has on obviously fueling some of those yeah it's um it's super complex and stuff that i'd love to explore in a lot of detail with you mm. but uh, maybe yeah. not <laughs> but i think they're really they're really interesting trends to speak about i think um uh certainly as a as a business owner myself um, thinking about, I think what the cool thing about automation is it levels the playing field. Right? Mm. Uh, so a large organization that used to have a huge workforce mm. um, and still does today, yeah. um, you you as a sole trader or a small business owner can leverage AI capabilities mm. to well to be a team of many. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. so you've got the productivity of a large organization in some respects uh, without yeah. the bureaucracy and process. So you can move very yeah. quickly. Yeah, and I think we're going to see some really interesting businesses emerge in the new year. Uh, like as early as 2024, mm, I think. Mm, oh, easily, yeah. Um, and I, th I think that's the thing because, you know, there's already talk of kind of AI washing. So when people are actually just yeah, using ChatGPT, people are just using <laughs> ChatGPT yeah. kind of thing. And <laughs> and also like, you know, and I don't know if I can name this on your podcast, but 
Again, you can bleep this out if you uh, if you need to. Um, sorry to your editor. But, you know, I had an email from Zero yesterday with their kind of customer survey about some AI stuff. I'm not bleeping this out. And I like you, Zero. I like Zero. Yeah, whatever. I, I've used it for a while. Um, but I was so uninspired by the, and it was really interesting to go through the kind of survey because, you know, sometimes I do these things, sometimes I don't. And I was like, oh, I'm just interested in what they're kind of p- pitching or positioning. And it was just really interesting to kind of see, yeah, the names they were putting forward, like the kind of taglines and stuff. And I was like, I'm not excited by any of this. Well, and this yeah. is as someone who loves to like try a new tool and like play with different things. And someone I was like, I am bored <laughs> just reading your kind of like your best options. No, I think you're touching on something really important. And again, this is the, one of the catalysts behind launching this podcast is mm. that um, everything that exists today was built for a different mm. era. Yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. we're going through a complete generational shift, right? It's spoken mm-hmm. demographic trends. Yeah, sixty five percent of our workforce in the next five to ten years is going to be millennials. Gen Z and oh, Gen Z and millennials. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. So, yeah. um, I think that's that's I think well, as a futurist, I think you're onto something, and we should all be listening. Yeah. To and there's always going to be a future, and if there's not, yeah. then we've got bigger problems than my, me just not having a job anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. So maybe um, uh, we've got a couple of minutes before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Maybe just to shift gears a little bit around. Um, How's your mindset as a business owner through your mm. journey? Good from day question. one, so from the day that you, that you yeah. fully into the leap, so we know the transition phase. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the things that stay consistent is that everything's an experiment and everything is undoable. And, like, that's, I mean, that's something I try and, uh, it's a bit of a life mantra anyway. You find a little bit of peace in it. it probably yeah, is, absolutely. Like, like, absolutely. Like, everything is, everything is, um is undoable you can kind of get you know there's nothing you're gonna life and death are pretty much the only things that are which, permanent. <laughs> which is yeah. a very different mindset to a structured career because a lot of time you're taught that what you do is not undoable so you're only as good as your last project is yeah. the same yeah, consulting yeah. and yeah. your cv matters and all that sort of stuff yeah. um not to say that it doesn't matter today but no, no, uh, no. i think it's really healthy mindset yeah and then i think in terms of what's changed the most is probably just I think in some ways it's probably what I I think the standards and I think I was just thinking about this actually as I was walking back from a lunch I was at earlier is I kind of always want to be at the stage where I'm kind of embarrassed about the work I did a year ago because I want to have had that kind of those those that constant learning and that kind of improvement and more kind of input around what good looks like and you know examples of different things and the different people I'm like you know spending time with and who are kind of that bit further ahead than than I am. So I think that's, yeah, what's changed is probably then hopefully the kind of the quality or the kind of the depth and the things that have gone into it. Because if you're constantly kind of learning and getting that feedback and sort of tweaking and twisting and changing things, you kind of just find who you are a little bit more and who you are as a business owner or whatever you want to kind of call it, but also who you are as, um, as a, you know, thinking human. And I think that's kind of exciting as well. Well, I think that's a really important point as well. You know, we often categorize uh, people mm. or to, to make sense of the world, um, yeah. but ultimately we're just people. Uh, yeah. We seem to be one of the few uh, uh, animals that exist on this earth that decide to uh, create things, mm. um, which is fascinating in itself. But one of yep. those powerful thoughts that I came across in the book was, you know, if it exists today and uh, you can touch and feel it, it's not natural that human created it, mm. um, which I think is super powerful, which means yeah. that you're right. And see if we could create anything we think of. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, two more questions, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. But um, if you could go back five years, 
So having now lived the future and yep. uh, you've been in business for around about that time since 2017 was when you started to think about it. Um, mm. uh, so it's even longer than five years now. Yep. What piece of advice would you give yourself? I found a really early piece of work that I did the other day and my first thought was, oh, God, why did you use that font? So <laughs> that would be my piece of advice. Like, not use that better font. fonts. Not that font. <laughs> yeah, yeah, use better fonts. I actually, so I used, uh, 2020 was pretty quiet from a work perspective. So I went to graphic design school for three months, um, did yeah. a, my cert four in graphic design. So yeah, definitely after that, I was like, we need to redo everything. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And, um, and what would be three key takeaways that you'd love to leave the audience with, whether they're getting started or, um, or on their journey from little things, uh, what would they be? Yeah, everything's an experiment would be number one. Everything is undoable would be number two. <laughs> and have fun, I think, as well. Like, it's very easy to take all of this quite seriously. And I think there's a lot of really great people who don't and but still like still do really great work and, you know, connect with people and have, like, great you know, relationships and all the rest. But, yeah, just hold it lightly because life is short but careers are long and I think we can there's so much more we can play with and be open to when we remember that yeah there's a lot of play time to, to be had that's awesome mm. Steph there are so many more questions that I'd love to ask about the future mm. and I genuinely am uh, deeply interested in, yeah I'd love <laughs> to have you back um but uh thanks so much for your time if I wanted to find you or if listener wants to find you talk about the future uh, perhaps engage in consulting work as well mm. where do they go and send money directly to no um, <laughs> please don't share yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my bank details are um yeah, yeah 28thursdays.com is my website so my business is called 28 thursdays but i'm most active on linkedin you can find me as steph which is with a ph at the end and clark with an e on the end awesome thank you so much and thanks for your time I'm thanks looking Dan. forward to seeing what you do next. no thank you thanks for the great conversation From Little Things is brought to you by Papera, the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. You can learn more and get started for free at papera.com. From Little Things is part of the Sonic Boom network of podcasts. To get your brand started on its own podcast, visit sonicboom.vc.